passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. But they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in their boat, with the high servants, and followed him. This is the word of God. Oh, oh. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Rosie. I uh, appreciate that. G'day, guys. Um, before I begin, can I just get you guys to turn to the person next to you say, hello, it's good to see you. Uh, yeah, I think sometimes we can come to church and ne never say hi to the people next to us and then we'll leave, um, but we don't want that. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Peter, and I have been given the privilege of preaching God's Word to you guys today. If you are here for the first time, I'd like to extend another warm welcome to you. Welcome. Thanks for coming. We're really happy to see you. Um, and I'd, I'd like to encourage you not to run away after service. Uh, but stick around, please. Grab some snacks and let us uh, get to know you as well. Um, so we're back in the book of Mark today. I don't know if the slides are working. Let me see if it's working. There we go. We're back in the book of Mark today. Uh, this is our third week in this sermon series. And the title for today's sermon is The Call of Christ. The Call of Christ. Last week, Pastor Paul preached on what God came into this world to do. Why Jesus came uh, into this world. Uh, he said he came into this world to be our righteousness, to bridge the gap, and to beat the devil. I don't know if you remember. And today's passage, what we see is, we see what Christ then calls us to do in response to his coming. So last week we heard about what Christ came to do. Today we hear, we're going to hear about what Christ calls us to do in response to his coming. And I'll tell you right now. He calls us to do two things. And I'm going to spend 20 minutes talking about these two things. Jesus Christ calls us today, firstly, to have faith in Him. And secondly, to follow Him. He calls us to have faith in Him. And He calls us to follow Him. And that's what we'll be talking about today. Let me ask you a question as we begin. What does it mean to be a Christian? If somebody were to ask you, what does it mean to be a Christian, what would you say? And what does it look like? To be a Christian. What are you meant to look like if you call yourself a Christian? Well, let me ask it a different way. What makes you a Christian today? And, and what in your life shows the world around you that you're a Christian today? And I'm sure you guys have um, answers in your mind about this, but if you don't have a good answer for this, um, if you don't know the answer to this question, then how can you be so sure that what Christ came to our world to do applies to you today? If you don't have a good answer for this, how can you be confident that you are truly a Christian today? You see, our passage today shows Jesus, he's beginning his ministries in the world, which is in a, uh, in a pivotal moment. And we see that before he does anything, before he goes anywhere, the first thing he does is he calls people to have faith in him, and he's call, he calls people to follow him. That's what we see in our passage today. Why? Why does he do this? Well, it's because, as Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because Jesus knows that he is, in him alone is salvation. And the purpose for which Jesus came into the world, right? The purpose for which he will do everything he does in the book of Mark is for this. So that people might place their faith in him. So that people might follow him and find life in him. And so as he opens his ministry, 
he, he, he sends an invitation. Put your faith in me and follow me. So what does that look like? What does it look like to place our faith in Jesus? And what does it look like to live a life of following Jesus? And that's what the book of Mark will unpack for us through the next few weeks and months, maybe, I'm not sure. But today we get a bit of an overview. And that's what we'll see today. A passage is divided into two sections, the call to faith and the call to follow. And it'll show us, as I said, it'll show us what it means to have faith, what it means to be a Christian, and it'll show us what it looks like to truly follow what it looks like to be a Christian. Let's look at the first thing, the call to faith. Verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Verse 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we learn here that John has been arrested. John is the, John the Baptist, who we saw at the beginning of the book of Mark. He's the guy who's been telling everyone, hey, the king is coming, the savior is coming, repent and be baptized. That's this John, and he is arrested now. We don't, get much, we don't get any details to why he's arrested right now, but what's important is that he is arrested. And I think this just reminds us again that John the Baptist is simply a messenger. He's not the star of the show. He is simply a messenger. He existed to point the way to Jesus, to show the way that Jesus is coming. And the moment Jesus comes, almost as if to show us that John's job is done, He's arrested. He's, he's handed over to the authorities and, and, and later on he gets killed. And just very quickly, I wanted to point out that I think this emphasizes to us again that the Christian's job is not to shine ourselves. Right? The Christian's job is to make Jesus Christ shine as we disappear into the background. Kingsway, our job as a community is not to become a well-known church. Uh, our job as a community is to make Jesus Christ well-known to the world around us. Especially as a church plant, I think it can get so easy to get caught up with the structures and systems of our church and making our church really awesome, which is great. But we must remember that nothing is more important for us here than making Jesus Christ known to the world around us. I hope that we can be a church like that. Let's be a church like that. Amen? Moving on. So we see John the Baptist is arrested. And Jesus begins his ministry. And he begins his ministry with a message, and it's a powerful message. I think the whole book of Mark is it's about this one verse. It's pretty important, right? Verse 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, in order for us to understand this, we need to understand that the word here, time, is not the word time as in 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock time. In its original Greek language, the word here is kairos, which means the right, the critical, the most important time, event. Let me explain. The difference between, what's the difference between historical and historic? Historical and historic. A, a historical event is any event that happens in the, you know, in the past. The day that I was born was a historical event in the past. It was not historic. But for an event to be historic, it has to have had great impact and influence on the world. Right? For example, March 25, 1807. Who knows what happened that day? March 25, 1807. This is the day, the historic moment where by the uh, influence of William Wilberforce, the British um, slave trade was abolished. I thought Mark might know this because he likes William Wilberforce. 
It was an impactful moment that influenced our society and influences our society even till this day. It was historic. That's what this means. The word time here, that's what this means. Kairos. It was a historic moment. And Jesus is saying that historic moment is here now. Now, why was it historic? Well, because for hundreds and hundreds of years, scattered throughout the Old Testament, during the suffering and the enslavement of God's people, God has been foreshadowing through prophets again and again that a Messiah, a Savior, will come to set them free. Right? We call this the Messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. It begins in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God tells Adam and Eve, in their first moment of sin, God tells them, I'm going to send someone and he's going to crush the serpent one day. It's one about Jesus. And then we see in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 to 13, where God promises King David that through one of his descendants, he will establish a kingdom that will last forever. That descendant was Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 5, we see a prophecy of a Savior who will come and be pierced and for the sins and transgressions of the world and by his wounds heal the world. Jesus was that coming Savior. And like this, again and again in the Old Testament, the, 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 the Bible has been pointing to this one moment. The coming of Christ. It's all been about Him. The people of, people of God have been waiting for generations and generations for their promised Savior King to come and rescue them. And that moment, that historic moment, Jesus is saying, is now. Because I am here. It's an epic verse. And so he says, the time is fulfilled. And then he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus is saying, I'm here. The time has come. And not only that, but because I'm here, the kingdom of God is being made available to you today. Remember, the prophecies was not just that somebody would come. That would be a pretty bad prophecy if it's like, oh, someone's coming. It's that somebody would come and rescue God's people. As Jesus says, the time has come. I'm here. Salvation is now made available to you. And so the big question for today, how do we receive this salvation? What does it mean to be Christian? Well, here's the answer. Jesus tells us, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. Not come to church. Not memorize the Bible. Not even become a better person. No, it is a matter of the heart, the Bible says. To be Christian, Jesus outlines here, is to first repent and then to believe. That's it. We must first recognize our sinfulness, our brokenness, that we are not good enough on our own to be accepted by God. And we have to repent of our sins, which means to turn away from the habits, turn away from the desires, turn away from the worldviews, turn away from the loves for things that are not God. And then we need to believe. We need to place our hope and trust in Him, surrender our hearts, surrender our values, surrender our desires to Him. And if we do this, the Gospel says, John 3.16, that we shall not perish, but have eternal life in Christ. Friends, it's as, it's as simple as it sounds. It is as simple as it sounds. To be Christian is to confess, I am weak, I need help, I am not a good God for myself, I recognize that I've been living my life the wrong way, and now Jesus, I turn to you, and I trust in you, and I believe in your promises. 
It is not a feeling that we wait for. I think a lot of times people think it's a feeling to wait for. It is not an event that needs to take place somewhere. It is a conviction that leads to a decision in our hearts that ultimately affects and impacts our eternities. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian here today, it is not because of anything else except this, that you have repented of your sins and you have actively decided to believe in Jesus. If you think you're a Christian today and this is not, this is not, this, yeah, this hasn't happened in your life, then maybe you're not a Christian. Because Jesus has clearly taught us if you want to receive the kingdom of God, this is the steps, repent and believe. And if you're not a Christian here today, well, this is the only way that you can receive the promises of salvation and heaven. You must turn away from the things of this world and you must turn to Jesus and believe, choose to believe in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior today. A Christian author, J.C. Ryle, says it like this. Have we felt our sins and forsaken them? Have we taken hold of Christ and believed? We may reach heaven without learning or riches or health or worldly greatness, but we will never reach heaven if we die unrepentant and unbelieving. This is what it means to be a Christian. And if you are a Christian here, I want to invite us today to reflect one more time on our faith. And make sure that we know that we are Christians because we have decided, whether it was 10 years ago, whether it was not long ago, that we have decided to repent, turn away from the things of this world, and believe, turn to Jesus, and commit to living for Him. And if that is not a reality that's happened in your life, I, I urge you to, to search your hearts and, and examine your faith again. Because Jesus Christ has made it so clear for us. It's a matter of life, eternal life and death. Let's not leave this to chance. And again, if you are not a Christian here, I invite you to believe in Jesus today. It's that simple. If you want to believe in Jesus, you can believe in Jesus today. If there's any desire in your heart to get to know God, to see who this Jesus is and be a, be a part of this salvation that we talk about at church, I encourage you, call out in prayer today and ask God to help you. Ask Him to lead you into repentance and ask Him to help, help you believe in Him today. And if that's hard for you, I, I, I encourage you to grab somebody at, at the church who is a Christian and ask them to pray with you and walk you through that. And I pray that some of us may respond to this call to faith today. So that's what it means to be a Christian. Someone who has repented and believed. Simple, right? But what does that look like? It's easy to say, I believe, right? It's easy to say, I believe. But what does it look like? What does it look like to truly believe? And we can see that in Christ's call to follow. Christ's call to follow. Let me read verse 16 and 17. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. So here we go. After Jesus announces that the time has come, the kingdom of God is available for anyone who repents and believes. He goes for a walk. And he comes across, or he meets these two brothers, Simon and Andrew, who are fishermen, and they're in the middle of working. Now, I think it's important to note that these men were not poor people, and they were not unskilled people. Studies actually show that the Sea of Galilee was like the hub for fishermen. 
And so if you were a fisherman in that area, this meant that you were quite successful in your trade, and it probably meant that you were quite well off as well. You know, when I, when I this story before I read into it uh, this week, I thought they were poor people. They were just like sad, poor guys who had no hope for the future, who had nothing going for them, and then Jesus comes and like helps them. No, it's actually the opposite. In this scene, Jesus is approaching busy, successful men at work. And he says to them, follow me. Follow me. Brothers and sisters, it's easy to say we believe, especially if you've grown up in the church. It's easy to say we believe. It's just like, it's just what we say. I am a Christian. And it's easy to be convinced that we are Christians just because that's, always, that's what we've always said. But often I think, I think that we think that to truly follow Christ and live a life of following Christ, it's, it's more for the people who are less busy, or who don't have much to do, or who don't have much hope going for them in their lives. The people who have less responsibility in life. And so as we get busier, and as we get more responsibility, we begin to compromise. We begin to compromise our living for God, and we begin to bargain with God with our lives. The things that we will do with our spare time for Him, and the things that it's a little bit inconvenient for us that we won't do, because there are more important things. We're too busy for it. But church, look at the, look at the response of these men. When Jesus calls them in the midst of their work, in the midst of their success, it says, verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. They didn't say, Jesus, just wait a second. Let me finish this thing. They didn't say, Jesus, what's so important that you're making me drop this and come with you right now? They didn't say, why? No, it says immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. Now, the dropping of their nets here is not simply dropping of their nets, but it's, it's rather a symbolic gesture of these men sur surrendering their profession, surrendering their security, and surrendering their future in order to follow Jesus. That's what's happening here. The Bible is showing us that this, this is what it looks like to truly follow Jesus. To be willing to give up anything in order to put Christ first and to not let anything get in the way of us obeying Jesus. And we see it again in verse 19. And going, and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and, the, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. Verse 20. And immediately he called them and they left their father in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Again, Jesus comes across two more brothers who are in the middle of working. They're busy. And he calls them, follow me. And it says, they leave their father and their hired servants behind to follow him. They leave the comfort of their home, the comfort of having servants around to serve them. They even leave their father behind in order to follow Jesus to become his disciples. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that Jesus is calling us to quit your jobs and neglect your families in order to worship him. Because that pleases Jesus. I don't think that's true. I actually think these are really good things that God commands us to do well. God actually commands us to be diligent workers. God commands us to be good parents, respectful children.
But the point is this, nothing should take priority over Christ's call to follow him and live for him if you want to be a disciple of him. Brothers and sisters, it is a myth to think that Christ has come to improve our standard of living. That we have this great plan for our lives and, and then we can just insert Jesus and he kind of like makes it better. He's meant to make our lives easier and more successful. And then when we don't succeed, we complain. We're like, God, I thought you loved me. No, Jesus has not come to improve our lives. The Bible says that he has come to transform our lives. To reform our lives. And not to our misery, but the Bible says, so that we might have life and life to the full. John 10.10. 10. And so Jesus says, Mark 8.34, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Brothers and sisters, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is how Jesus calls us to live for him as Christians today. It is the call to radically deny ourselves of the things that we may want so that we can live for the things that God wants. It is the call to radically take up a life of holiness in order that we might be able to imitate Christ more every day. And it is the call to radically choose Christ first above all. That our career wouldn't become an excuse. That raising our kids wouldn't become an excuse. That our past hurts and experiences wouldn't become an excuse. And that our desire for comfort and security wouldn't become become a hindrance to our faithfulness to Christ. But that we would, as people who have placed our faith in Him, immediately drop our nets each day in order to follow and obey Jesus Christ, whatever that looks like for you. What should people see when they see Christians in this world? What should people see when they see you? Jesus tells us they should see someone who puts Christ first. Somebody who follows Jesus. This is what Christian life should look like. It is an incredibly radical life that Christ is calling us into. And if you're a Christian here today, I want us to ask ourselves, honestly, am I living this life today? Or... Am I living some watered-down version of Christianity where I pick and choose the things that I do for God? This is easy, so I'll do it for God. This is a little inconvenient, busy for us, I'm not going to do it for God. Church, I just want us to picture what it might look like if our church became a community filled with these kind of people. Radical Christians willing to lay down everything for the sake of Christ. People who are on fire for Jesus and they don't let anything get in the way of the the desire to live for Him and glorify Him through their lives. Imagine if our church became a community filled with those kind of people. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go out and uh, change our jobs and change this and change that right now. But maybe you do. Maybe there are genuinely good things in your life right now that are simply getting in the way of you living for Christ. And of course, we need to be responsible. We need to be wise. 
Let's not all quit our jobs this week, right? But we also need to trust in the Lord and follow him. That's his call to us today. Again, imagine if our community was filled with people willing to make changes and live radical lives of, a, of worship and obedience. Would that not cause the world to see that and ask who it is that we believe and why it is that we live this way? And I actually think that's why Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. Yes, there is an evangelistic um, message here. But I also, think that, I also think that it means that if you truly live a life that follows Christ, it is natural to create change in the lives of those around us as they see us live a certain way. How many of us are hypocritical Christians holding tight onto our nets every day and yet we have no trouble pointing others to go follow Jesus? We've got our nets and our good for Jesus. Of course it doesn't work then. And for the parents, and I don't, I don't want to be sensitive because I'm not a parent, but how many of us as parents are, are saying to our kids with our words, you need to follow Jesus, and yet with our lives, we're showing them something completely opposite. Of course it doesn't work. Brothers and sisters, Christ calls us as Christians to put him first. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So that's a really long way of saying these two things. Last week we heard from Pastor Paul that Christ has come for us. He has come to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves, to be our righteousness, to bridge the gap between us and the Father God and to beat the devil, to release us from the groups of sin and hell and save us. Would you like to take part in this? Then here is the call that Jesus makes. Place your faith in Christ today. Perhaps the first time today. Repent and believe in Jesus. And the good news is, unlike the people of the Old Testament, we don't have to wait generations and generations for our Savior to come. He's come already. And we'll see it in the book of Mark, but He's died already and He's paid for the sin already. He simply invites you today to place your faith in Him. And if you have placed your faith in Him already, God or Jesus calls you to commit to radically following Him today until the day that we can seek a God face to face in His kingdom. Will you respond to the call as these disciples did? dropping the nets and following immediately. And I hope and pray that you do. And I, I, I pray that Kingsway would become a church filled with people who have genuine faith and filled with people who are committed to living a life following Jesus every single day. And I, I, I think if we do that, we'll become a church that, that saves more people because they'll see that it really means something to us. Hear the call, and I encourage you to respond today. Why don't we pray together?
Uh, one thing I didn't mention today is that faith is a gift that God gives to us. And it really is only by His grace uh, that we will be able to commit to living for Him, placing our faith in Him and following Him. And so as we pray in this time, um, I want to encourage you, wherever you're at in your, in your life right now, in your heart right now, just to ask God for His grace and for His help. If you're not a Christian, or if you thought you were a Christian, but you, you kind of have doubts now. Have I really repented? Do I really believe? Why don't you come before God and ask Him for His grace and for His Spirit to help you, to lead you, to be able to place your faith in Him today. If you are a Christian, but you know and, and and I know too that we, we are not living the radical life of obedience that Christ calls us to. Not even close. And you have felt convicted by the words that we heard today. Why don't you approach God and ask Him for His help? Ask Him for His grace. Ask Him for His Spirit to lead you so that you might be filled with the conviction, the confidence and the strength to be able to live out your faith, following Jesus, radically obeying Him every single day. If you have a decision on your heart and your mind right now, why don't you ask God for clarity? And I believe He will give you an answer in due time. Let's just spend some time just doing business with God in our hearts, asking Him to help us, asking Him to lead us to faith, to respond to the call to follow Him today. Let's make that our prayer, and then I pray He will sing us off for us. Let's pray.